So there are a number of misconceptions, and there's really two what I would call major misconceptions about Christianity and uh, Christians. Um, and, and Peter's going to address those. And it's, it's kind of interesting because Peter's going to hit, it seems like he keeps hitting on similar themes over and over and over. And just to give you the context, Peter is preparing his people. As a good pastor, he's preparing his people for the oncoming persecution. And he's saying, persecution is coming. Here's how you need to prepare. You need to be ready for this. It is going to happen, and you need to be aware of it. Don't be surprised by it. Don't be put off by it, but be ready for it. And uh, so he gives us some tips. And he, he, in, in the passage we're going to look at today, he's going to again, he's going to hit that theme again of suffering. But he's going to address kind of a common misconception that we in America have about Christianity and about uh, Christians. And so we want to look at it. So as a church family, we've kind of adopted uh, three things about the Christian life. That there needs to be a point where we believe in Jesus. And when we believe, we don't mean we just believe he exists. We mean that we are putting our faith in him. We cross this line of faith. We um, call upon him. Secondly, we think it's important that we belong. That it's not just us and Jesus that we're part of a community. And the best kind of community that we can get into is a smaller community where we're doing the one in others, love one another, bear one another's burdens, pray for one another, forgive one another, love one another. And it's really hard to do that in a bigger setting, but when we get into a smaller setting, it's good for us. So we're trying to plug you as, as many as we can into these what we call life groups where you can do life together, where you are known and you know people. So that's believe, belong, and then what we're going to talk about today, and this is the theme of what Peter's talking about, becoming. That we never arrive, that we, be, we cross the line of faith and we begin a growth, we begin a, a path, we begin a, a strategy where we're, we're becoming more and more like Jesus. And so that's kind of what we want to look at today. So I'm going to be in 1 Peter chapter 4. If you'd like to turn there in your Bibles, I'll read the passage, and then we'll talk about it. 1 Peter chapter 4, he says this, verse 1, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, do not live like the rest of their... As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For if you, you have spent enough time in the past doing what the pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousings, and detestable idolatry, they're surprised that you don't, you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead so that they might be judged according to the human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. So there's a number of principles that, uh, that uh, in my mind, we see here that Peter lays down. The first one is this one, that um, it's time for us to grow up. It's time for us to grow up. Uh, there's, and this is where we get into this whole idea that we have in Christianity today that I believe are two misconceptions. And here they are. The first one is that I have to clean my life up 
to come to know Jesus. I have to clean it up. I have to get my life in order before I come to Jesus. And many people believe this. Many people think, well, I, I, if, you know, bef- I can't really give my life to him because it's a mess. And once I get my life, a handle on my life, then I can come to Jesus. And that's not what the Bible says. The Bible clearly says that you come to Jesus as you are, with all your garbage, with all your mess, with all your struggles. You just, you just come. And it's not like Jesus is going to take it away tomorrow, but you come with the mess of your life. You come as you are. That's the first one. The second one is this. That when you come to Jesus, you come as you are, but then you grow up. <laughs> you don't remain the same. You, you don't rely upon, I went forward, I prayed a prayer uh, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Uh, I grew up in, uh, I have this tradition. You don't rely upon that. There's a moment where you cross that line of faith. And if you cross that line of faith, basically what, what the Bible and the New Testament teaches is there'll be a path of growth. It's not going to be a steady, you know, like this. It's generally like ragged and up and down. And, you know, sometimes you, you know, you take three steps back and, but there's growth. There's development. That you don't remain the same. You come as you are, but you don't remain the same. And that's so misunderstood in Christianity today. I can't tell you how many times I've had conversations with people who have either said, I'm not good enough. I haven't arrived. I haven't cleaned my life up. I haven't fixed things up. I'm not worthy of Him. And I can't come to Him. Till... And I just share the grace of God and the mercy of God. And then other people who seems like they remain in the same place that they were five, ten years ago. They haven't grown up. Peter says, you can come as you are, but you don't stay the same. And it's one of the major themes of the New Testament. So the question is, so what is one of the greatest evidences that you are following Jesus? What is one of the greatest evidences that you are following Jesus? Well, 1 John, John tells us in 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. Here's what he says, 1 John 2, verse 3. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is, is not in that person. But if anyone hear, obeys his voice... Uh, excuse me, but if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus lived. In other words, one word will tell you whether you are one of his followers, whether you are growing, and that is, are you obeying him? Jesus said over and over, why do you call me Lord, Lord? But you don't do what I've called you to do. You see, there's a lot of people who know about Jesus, but they don't know Jesus. There's a huge difference. There's all the difference in the world. There's all the difference in eternity between knowing about Jesus and knowing him personally. You know, one of the saddest passages in the scripture in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus many Jesus says, many people will come to me on that day and they said, Lord, we cast out demons. We did this, we did this. And Jesus will say, depart from me. I never knew you. And so knowing Jesus is, is a lot more than just knowing about him. The devils know about him. 
And they shudder, it says in James. So where are you at? See, here's the truth. The truth, and this is the first point. You can come to Jesus with all your baggage, and that's what we're supposed to do. But we can't stay the same. Can't stay the same. All right, here's the second point. It's time to choose suffering over sinning. Now, Peter is reminding us, and this is a constant theme in the, in the, in the uh, letter that he wrote. He's constantly saying, Christians, understand that suffering isn't an anomaly. It is life as usual. This is going to be a regular part of the Christian life. You're not going to get away without suffering. Jesus suffered, the disciples suffered, the early church suffered, the church today around the world is suffering. Suffering is part of being a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, we, we as in America, we, we want to avoid, especially, and I'm talking American Christianity, we want to avoid suffering. We're, we like preachers to tell us, you should never suffer, you should never struggle, you should never, you know, none of that. And yet that goes counter to what the scripture says. Scripture clearly says, Jesus says, in the world you'll have tribulation. This side of heaven isn't going to be heaven. <laughs> That's essentially what it comes down to. Um, look at, look at this proverb. I'm going to read you a proverb because this is what I mean by choosing suffering over sinning. Because most of us would say, that's an odd combination. I haven't really thought about that. But here's a practical one. This is Proverbs chapter 19, verses 22. It says this, What a person desires is unfailing love. And then notice this next phrase, Better to be poor than a liar. Better to be poor than a liar. Now, how many Americans do you think agree with that statement? It's better to be poor than a liar. Let me ask you another question. How many American Christians agree with that statement? Better to be poor than a liar. What's that verse talking about? It's talking about integrity. It's talking about, are you willing to sin? Are you willing to give up your integrity for gain? Um, I believe that there's a lot of people in America that would say, yeah, integrity's you know, integrity is important, but money is pretty important too. Money pays the bills. Um, status, that's pretty, yeah, it's having status without integrity. You know, there's a lot of people who have status without integrity, right? We in America have, I, I am convinced that we in America would look at that and say that's foolish. But what, what the Bible basically is saying here is, what the scripture is saying, what Peter is saying is, you need to be, you need to be willing to choose suffering uh, over sinning. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, interesting verse uh, about Moses. Notice what it says about Moses. This is when Moses, who was, you know, in the Old Testament, Moses was in Exodus. He was raised in the house of Pharaoh. And as a baby, he was taken by Pharaoh's daughter and raised in this, uh, this luxurious place in the palace of Egypt, the world power. And this is what it says about Moses in Hebrews 11, verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. What is this saying? This is saying that Moses chose suffering over sin. Probably the quintessential, the, the greatest example 
of this whole idea of choosing suffering over sin is Jesus and his temptation. In Matthew chapter 4, it says that after Jesus had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was tempted by the enemy. When he was physically weak, he chose suffering over sin. The writer of Hebrews tells us that we are to fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And then he says, in this is Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. He says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What is, what is Peter saying there? Or what is the writer of Hebrews saying there? He's saying that Jesus chose suffering over sin. Do you remember some of the temptations that the, the enemy gave to Jesus? If you are the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. If you are the Son of God, cast yourself off this building. Prove who you are. And what the enemy was basically saying is, go ahead and sin. You don't have to suffer. Over and over and over, Jesus was tempted to give up on suffering. Peter, at one point, one minute Peter is saying, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And, and, and Jesus says, you know, flesh and blood hasn't revealed that to you, Peter, but my Father in heaven has revealed that to you. And then just a short time later, Jesus, it says in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in that account, it says, and then Jesus began to tell them how he must suffer. And Peter comes up to him and says, over my dead body. Well, that's my translation. <laughs> Essentially, he says, no way, Lord. And what does Jesus say to him? Get behind me, Satan. And see, this is hard to hear, isn't it? This is not what we generally hear. We don't generally hear that we should choose suffering over sin. Now, let's not be, let's not take it to the point where it's, it, it's compromise is what we're talking about. You know, the idea that our lives could be easier if we compromise our values. That's really what we're talking about. It's being quiet when we should speak up. It's not doing the right thing when we know we should. It, it, that's what we're talking about. It, it's not like somebody's going to, you know, hit you and whip you. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the idea, would you choose suffering to be uncomfortable rather than giving in to sin? And that's a tough choice to make. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, Peter says that, that's not an option. That's life as usual. Let's see the third thing. So the third thing is, it's time to live for Jesus and not your, not by your impulses, not for your impulses. So Peter tells us that we're not to live like the animals. Now, animals live based upon their impulses, based upon their instincts. And what's supposed to separate us from the rest of the planet, the created uh beings on the planet, the animals, and the, the thing that changes, that we're supposed to be different is we don't, we're not supposed to have to function based upon our impulses. We can think, we can choose. We don't have to do certain things. Um, we can say no to the flesh and no to sin. Have you noticed something about your children? Um, this, this happens pretty quickly as, as a parent. And I don't care how good your child is. 
You don't have to teach your kids how to do wrong and how to sin. They kind of just get it. It's like, who taught you that? How, how many times it's you, by the way. <laughs> That's the sad commentary. You know, who told you that? Who said that? Where did you learn that? Well, you know, from you. You know, they can't say that, but that's where they picked it up. Kids are unfortunately naturally born sinners. The Bible says that we have this, this, this ability within us to, to sin, and it comes very natural. Now, it's very interesting because the word he used this is, uh, the Greek word he uses in here, uh, desire. And essentially he says, you need to stop living according to these instincts, according to these desires. That's the old way of you. That's the way of the flesh. That's not who you are anymore. That's not who you are. You, you aren't that person anymore. That's who you used to be, but that's not who you are now. Now, here's what the word he uses, is a very interesting word. Uh, thumia means desire. The Greek word thumia means the de- desire. And on that, the, what the Greek does is it puts a preposition in it, epi. And epi just, you've heard of epi pens and stuff like that. We get a lot of our English from Greek. And epi just kind of intensifies that. And, and it's this intensified desire. And essentially what Peter's saying, you don't have to live any longer to that intensified desire, that over-desire. In other words, having a desire for certain things, for love and acceptance, for all those things, that's perfectly okay. But when it becomes an epithumia, when it becomes an over-desire, when we want it too much... And, you know, I've said this before. Sometimes we take good things, we make them God things. We take desires and we make them epithumias. We make them over desires. And, and essentially that's where idolatry comes from. Idolatry is when we take a good thing and we make it a God thing. I have to have that relationship. I have to live at this, in, in this kind of lifestyle. I have to, you know, whatever it is, we've taken a good thing and we've made it a God thing. That's a problem. That's a problem. In America, though, we're encouraged to live out our desires, to live out our, ins- our, our impulses. If you want to get drunk, get drunk. If you want to have an in- inappropriate sexual encounter, have it, one. If you want something, take it. In America, it's perfectly okay to live by your impulses because the most important thing in America is that you are happy. That you are individually happy. There's a couple of things that happen in our culture that we've learned that have been very detrimental to us. And and they go very counter to Christianity. One is that we are individuals and my individual happiness trumps everything else. That it's more important for me to be happy, for me to get what I want, than for me to think about the implications of how it may affect the people around me. Because we've grown up believing that. But isn't that how the animals live? But this is not how Christians made in the image of God, saved by the blood of the Lamb, live. And that's what Peter is saying. That used to be you, but not anymore. Paul says it in another way. Uh, Write this reference down. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. He says this. Do you not know 
that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now he's going to go on and describe what he's talking about. And what he's going to describe are people who have this kind of lifestyle. Uh, This describes them. It describes their past. It describes their current situation. And he says this, Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says very, very important phrase in verse 11. And that is what some of you, and there's one word there, that is what some of you were. That's who you were. It's not who you are. It's who you were. You're no longer that. And then he says, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. That phrase in verse 11 is what Peter's talking about. And that's the whole idea of what he's getting at with this whole idea of we don't remain the same. We grow. That's who you were, but it's not who you are today. And many of you in this place right now are listening online, watching online, can, can look at a point in your life where you gave your life to Christ and it changed the whole trajectory of your life. It changed the whole pattern of your life. It's not who you are anymore. You're a different person. And if you, if we were to stop and you were to begin to share what your life used to be before Jesus and what it is now, many people, some people who know you, or people who just have known you since you have made that transition, you come to Christ, they could, they could not believe your story. They would say, you're lying. You're trying to bump up your testimony. You're trying to make your, 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 your time before Christ more flashy than it was. You say, no, that's who I was. But that's not who you are now. Yeah, that's the point, and that's what Peter's getting at. Peter's point is this, you grow up, you're not driven by your impulses any longer. You don't, they don't control you, you control them. Here's the last point we want to look at. It's time to surprise them by how you live. If you, if you become a follower of Jesus Christ, you become an alien to some of your friends. They don't get you, they don't understand you, they, they are puzzled by your life. They, they say things like, why don't we hang out anymore? Why don't you do the, some of the things that you used to do? Why don't, you're, why don't you use the same language that you used to use? Um, and they might even say, what's wrong with us? Why don't you spend time with us anymore? Are we no good for you? Or are you too good for us? Have you had that reaction? They don't get you. They may even go so far as to mock you. Why? You know, I've had people uh, that have done that in my life. You probably have too. And you haven't said a word to them. (laughs) You haven't like been preachy or anything. And all of a sudden, they'll say something like, you think you're just all that, don't you? You just think you're so righteous. You go, no, I don't, and I don't know why. Where's that coming from? Here's what it's, where it's coming from. When you begin to live for Jesus, when the light of Christ, the light of the gospel begins to 
show in your actions and in your words. The people around you notice that you don't choose to live by your instincts and by your impulses, that you're living by another instinct, by another impulse, and it's foreign to them, and they don't get it, and they're surprised by it. And the other thing is they're convicted by it. Why would they care? I mean, frankly, aren't we told in our culture, you can choose whatever path you want as long as you don't hurt other people. As far as I know, following Jesus is a path of my choice. I'm not hurting other people. And yet people want to condemn you for it. Why is that? It's because they're convicted by your lifestyle. Now, a word about people, and they may be your former... (laughs) Friends, they may be family, they may be co-workers, and they begin to mock you, they may begin, you know, give you the pet names and all that stuff. Just remember, they're not the enemy. That was you before Jesus. That was who you used to be before Jesus. Remember that. Um, it's important that you understand that. They're not the enemy, and uh, we need to. And, and, and it goes back last week where... Peter says, always be ready to give an answer about those who ask you about the hope that is within you. But how does he say to do it? But with gentleness, with respect. I find a lot of Christians that are very arrogant and angry and mad and, you know, condemning. And it's almost as though, you know, I just can't wait until judgment comes in. And that's kind of what this passage says. You know, there there are Christians would read this passage and it talks about the judgment of God coming, right? Did you see that in the passage where it says that there's a day of judgment where God will judge the living and the dead? And then he says, and those who lived a while ago, they were warned and the judgment is coming to them too. There are some people that gravitate towards that path. I can't wait to that day. Can't wait to the day of judgment when they get what's coming to them. You know what? I think there's something wrong with your heart if you feel that way. Your heart ought to be broken. I was telling Carol the other night that we were watching something and we were just talking about some this person that we saw on TV and kind of they were bad. And, and you thought, how does a little baby who grows up, you know, see all these beautiful pictures of these newborn babies, how does a baby grow up to be that? I, you just say, how is it possible? Well, it's because of the way they were raised or bad. It, yeah, absolutely. Get all that. But there's a, it, 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 how do we get into a, such a hard place where we look at a person and say, there's no hope for that person. And, and frankly, I hope they get judged and I hope they get judged really good. I'm just glad that our Savior didn't have that heart for lost people, kind of like we do sometimes. So I have a friend uh, that I've been following, and, and he's lost 50 pounds over the last few months, which is great because I had a doctor's appointment this week, and my doctor told me that uh, everybody's catching the COVID-20, and it's, they're gaining 20 pounds. Um, and he says, you know, he says, just about everybody that comes in here has gained about 20 pounds. It's the COVID-20. 
And this, this friend of mine has lost 30 pounds. How has he done it? Well, he's, he's, he's going to the gym. He's exercising. He's eating better. I mean, he's making better choices. And he's changed the way he's living his life. That's how he's done it. And it's 50 pounds is a lot. I mean, it's incredible. And I've kind of just said, good job, and affirmed him along the way. There's a lot of people, and this is, this is where we're going to close. There's a lot of people that, that uh, in America that have a gym membership. And, okay, let's just forget the fact that you can't really go to a gym right now. But let's just say you could. And when they could go to gyms, they had gym memberships. And here's what they thought. They thought, because I have a gym membership, I'm probably in pretty good shape. Now, I don't ever work out there. I don't ever lift weights. I don't ever get on the treadmill. I don't do any work at all, but I have a gym membership. It's a little tag on my keychain. Even though I never go, I feel good about myself. And I have good intentions that one day, I'm going to hit the gym. Here's what I see happening within Christianity. There's a lot of people that say, oh yeah, I know Jesus. Yeah, He's great. He's wonderful. Yeah. I gave my life to him at a camp. I gave my life to him at this rally. There was this concert and they asked people to come forward. I came forward. I have my membership card. Jesus says, well, how about obeying me? How about following me? Well, let's get into the gym. I haven't been in the gym, but you know, I got a card. I got a card. I got a membership. I'm afraid there's a lot of Christians that use the word Christianity and use the word Christian to describe themselves. But it's just like the guy, the, the woman who has the gym membership and feels like, I must be in good shape because I have this membership. Peter says, are you kidding me? If you are not growing in the Christian life, if you're not obeying Jesus Christ, if you're not following Him, alarms should be going off because something's wrong. That's essentially what Peter's saying to us. There's a lot of Christians who think they're following Jesus, but they're not following Him. They have intentions of following Him. They know following him is the thing to do, and they know they should, but they don't. It's one thing to follow him, it's another thing to play the game. Again, Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I say? Peter says simply this, you come to Jesus with all your garbage. You don't have to clean up before you come. But once you come to Jesus, there's going to be cleaning up of garbage. There's going to be growth. There's going to be development. And if there's not, something's wrong. Something's wrong. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Father, thank you for... uh, Peter and the word that he's given us today and whatever was from Peter and from you, we just pray that we would go directly to our hearts, whatever was just 
nonsense, uh, not important, may that be forgotten immediately. And Father, I pray that we would leave this place, or whether if we're watching online, that, that your spirit would take the word of God to our hearts, to the area where we have maybe over-desired, maybe we've been led by our impulses, maybe we have uh, not really been growing, uh, we haven't really taken the call where you said, follow me seriously. And we haven't been following you, if we're honest, we haven't been. And we have chosen to sin rather than to suffer. It, whatever it is, Father, I pray that you take one of those areas that we would, uh, the Spirit of God would give us the desire and the ability to change uh, for, for good, for your kingdom. We pray this in the awesome name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hey, I hope you have a great week. God bless you, and uh, we'll see you next weekend.